Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben, for just the way you have brought us in. That was great this morning. And I just have to say for a moment, I, I just, we love New River. We're so thrilled to be here and to be a part of this church. And I got to say, Jeremy, I just, every Sunday at your team, you bring us into the presence of God in a way that defrosts my soul. I just got to say a big thank you back to you guys and the, the way that you lead us every week. It's just, uh, just really, really a blessing. Thank you. And this Sunday, Keith and Megan and their family get to take a little break. We know from stories that he was telling us in anticipation, they've been, what were they taking out of a jar? Do you remember? M&M's. They were taking M&M's out of the jar in anticipation for their, their big beach trip that they're going to. And so they're off down there. And we just really want to be remembering them and praying for refreshment and refilling for them as they get a little break. And normally my wife would be in here like Megan is every Sunday sitting right over here. Megan's here kind of, you know why Megan's in here every Sunday, right? She, she keeps Keith on the rails. And if he gets off the rails, that you know, she, you see her face during the Sunday. You, you see everybody. I know you guys look at her too, right? When he says something goofy, and you, everybody looks at Megan, right? Normally, Julie would be in here doing that for me, but this morning she's in with the babies. So we, she gets to be with the babies, and I get to be with you, and we get to kind of cover both ends of the spectrum this morning. So if I go way off the rails, you can go back into the nursery, and you can tell Julie, and she'll. She'll get me back on the rails after, after today. She's, normally, she's in here giving me those, those cues, but uh, if I go way off the rails, you can go let her know today, and, and uh, she'll help me get back on track. So I just want you to know, it's just a really, it really is an, an honor to be able to be a part of New River, and then to be able to, to come today and to be able to bring the word to you. And I, I want to also pray and just, uh, it was already prayed for me this morning. I thought it was interesting. Someone else already prayed this prayer for me this morning. And this is the prayer that I always pray before I speak. So I thought it was neat that, that Bob prayed this for me already this morning. So just join me for a, a brief moment as we dive in this morning. Dear Jesus, we ask that you would be our speaker today, that you would let me just be a conduit through which you sweep, through which you flow. Please speak to us today in your name. Amen. Well, I'm going to dive in this morning with uh, one of my, I have many, but one of my classic parenting fails. Didn't anybody else, does your Instagram feed, do you follow any fail sites, all the no, it's just me. I'm kind of evil that way. Julie does not like to see most of the things on my Instagram feed because they are videos of people hurting themselves um, and me laughing at them for being dumb. Um, but fails. I just love the whole idea that we can, we can watch fails. And so I'm going to share with you one of my, my all-time classic parenting fails. And this happened with my son and with another pastor. We were both on staff at a church together. I was a youth pastor. He was a children's pastor. His son was four. My son was four. And they were both at that age, you know, where, where they spent a lot of time dreaming about which character they were in the Narnia story. Anybody else do that? I did that when I was, when I was little. My mom read those stories to me. Uh, I think probably uh, Ralph the Motorcycle Mouse and Stuart Little were like two of their biggest heroes. You know, at this point, four years old. Well, Mike says to me, Darren, let's go take our, our boys on kind of a daddy-son date. 
And he goes, I've got the place. Meet me at this address. So we were living in Southern California at the time. He gives me the address and I pull up into a, a strip mall parking lot. And in this strip mall parking lot, I noticed the sign that he tells me we're gonna go to this place. It's a, he said, it's an amazing pet store. I was like, I'm just not really getting the image in my mind of what we're gonna go do at this amazing pet store. But okay, I'm, t- I'm gonna trust my friend, Mike, and we're gonna go take our boys to this amazing pet store, pull into the strip mall. We go walking into this pet store and whoa, this place was amazing. We walk in the front door and the first thing I notice is on the right is an island with a moat. On the island is a monitor lizard with a body of about five, five feet long body. And then his tail, I don't know how long his tail was because it was all kind of wrapped around him, but this thing was huge. It looked like a big old alligator right there on this island. And it was surrounded by a moat. While I'm looking over here, catching that, like, whoa, something moves right here next to my head. And I kind of step back and there's iguanas in a cage right here. And they're all under light. So they're moving, they're moving around and, and they're eating bugs. And I'm, so right away we walk in and everything was like, this ain't no pet store. This is like pet heaven experience. And we're like, wow. So we were just taking, I mean, we stood there and looked at the iguanas and we looked back at the monitor lizard and, and we, we started walking through the store and, and they let us take stuff out of the cages. Everything was for sale. You could buy all these things except the monitor lizard. <laughs> he was not for sale. Um, but you could buy all these things, but they just, they let them come out of the cages. And so we have lizards and we have snakes and our boys are just like, yeah, this is awesome. And I'm feeling like awesome dad. I'm taking my son on this great adventure. This is so cool. So we're just about ready to wrap up. We've been in there for probably an hour and a half and we've just had a blast. And the guy says to me as we're going, he says, hey, you want to feed the fish? And it just sounded like evil the way he said it. He was like, you want to feed the fish? I was like, how can you make feed the fish sound so bad? I was like, what what do you mean? He goes, you want to feed the fish? I was like, I I think so. (laughs) And he says, come here, you can feed the fish. I hadn't really noticed the fish until this point, but he kind of, as he's saying it, he's kind of nodding towards the moat. So I kind of look into the moat and I'm like, yeah, those are big fish. Yeah, I want to feed the fish. Whoa, look at all those guys in there. I didn't know what they all were, but I could tell they were like aggressive. They were swimming. And some of them were like this big. I mean, these were big, big catfish. And, you know, they were, they were swimming around. They were ready to do stuff, pikes and crazy things in there. So he goes, come here, come here. We'll go, we're going to feed the fish. So we go walking over and he pulls open a drawer filled with live white mice. So he grabs this mouse and lifts it out and he goes, let's go feed the fish. And the boys were like, yeah, oh my gosh. And we were like all pumped up and excited. We go walking over to the moat and I, Sawyer has his hand up, my son, and he's got the mouse by the tail and I've kind of got his hand. And we do this kind of a thing where we're like, one, the big countdown. And the boys are like, yeah, we're like, one, two, three. And we launch this mouse up over the, the moat. The fish erupted out of the water. They came out of the water and there were so many of them that they bounced the mouse in the air. It flew in the air and it landed on the back of the monitor lizard, right on his back. It sat there. Everybody screams. We're like, yeah, whoa, no way. It was like, we couldn't even believe we'd seen this. 
Then nothing happened. The monitor lizard didn't even care. Apparently he had just eaten and he was mellow. Mellow, mellow. And the mouse is now sitting on his back, cleaning his feet. We're like, um, excuse me. <laughs> and he goes, oh, okay, don't, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll go get it. So he jumps up on the edge of the moat. He jumps across the moat and he's right there next to the monitor lizard, which to me did not look like a really wise thing to do. But he's right there next to the monitor lizard and he says, okay, are you guys ready? Here we go. I'm gonna sweep the mouse back over into the moat. Count down. Three, two, one. And he sweeps the mouse off the back of the monitor lizard. And me, in my brilliance, I yelled in a nice loud voice. I said, swim, Stuart, swim. <laughs> there was a loud sucking noise and Stuart Little disappeared in the gullet of a catfish. It was just, <laughs> and then it was silence. And I was like, and then our boys started to cry. I was like, oh, and they were like, Stuart Little. I was like, oh, no. Whole event just totally ruined. I was dad of the year to just big old loser in 1.7 seconds. I was like, no, no, no. There is no grace in the animal kingdom. Right? The strongest win. The weakest lose. There's no grace in the animal kingdom. That little mouse did not stand a chance. I just wish I wouldn't have called him Stuart. <laughs> but there's no grace in the animal kingdom. Grace sets us apart from every other being on this planet. Grace sets us apart it makes us different. It should make us different. As followers of Jesus, grace should change us. It should change the way we live. It should change the way we interact with each other. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. One of the verses, I know I memorized it as a kid in Sunday school. It was just itty bitty. This is one of the first memory verses I can remember memorizing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace... You have been saved through faith. And this is not on your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not the result of works so that no one may boast. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Man, we just, we love that verse. We love that idea. And maybe you've heard this definition that the differences between mercy and grace. Have you heard these kind of broken down before? Mercy, in its most simple form, mercy is not getting what we deserve. There's a, theologians in the room are thinking there's a lot more to it. I know, I agree. I'm just giving you something you can hang your hat on and remember right now. Mercy is, is when we don't get what we do deserve. And grace, then, a distinction between the two, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Not only does God protect us from the, the actual consequence of our sin, that's mercy. He then pours out himself, his gifts, his love, his healing, his acceptance. He pours all of this out on us. So not only did we get protected from the consequence of our sin, mercy, 
We're given grace, which is God giving himself to us. And we deserve none of this. We all know this. We all know this. And when we look inside our own soul, we look at each other sometimes and we can look around a room and evaluate who we think might be doing better than I'm doing. But in truth, none of us deserve this grace. This definition of grace, the more I've leaned on this over the years, I kind of joke about the fact that now as I speak and teach, I used to have like all these topics I love to talk about and I'd you know, always go, it was like I had a 12-string guitar. I feel like a lot of the strings have fallen off my guitar now and now I'm kind of down to two it's, and, and really it comes down to grace and abiding for me. Julie has two different strings on her guitar. It's kind of funny, we were talking about this this morning. Hers are, are God's goodness and his sovereignty. And I feel like as I'm getting older, it's crystallizing in my mind how core this idea of grace really is. And the more I've pushed on it over the years, the more I've taught on it and dug into it and studied it, the bigger and deeper the definition of grace has gone. This idea of beauty, beauty under control. There's like, we talk about the gracefulness of a horse running or the gracefulness of my dog chasing a deer, watching the two of them rip across the field. And in my mind, there's just this beautiful picture of the grace of my dog doing what it was created to do. But as we dig into the theological meanings of this, the, 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 I just encourage you, become a, a, a searcher a, to grow in your understanding of grace. One of the definitions I've come across over, over time has been this one. Spiros Zodiatus, by the way, I'm not an owner of the company at all. I don't get any props, but the study Bible that Spiros Zodiatus put together with Greek and uh, uh, Hebrew helps in it, this Spiros Zodiatus study Bible, that's a good buy right there. That's good devotional material right there, I'm just telling you. Spiros Zodiatus, as I dug into his definition, this is what he came up with. The divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. That's not from me. I'd encourage you to write that down somewhere. That's good. Grace. God pouring himself out on us. Grace. God's influence upon my heart so that when you get up close to me, hopefully more and more what you see is Jesus and less and less of what you see is Darren. God reflecting on me back at you. That's God's grace the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. We love the idea of grace. And let me, let me clarify that a little bit. We love the idea of grace, that Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace I have been saved. Oh, isn't that awesome? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. We love the idea of receiving grace. Extending grace is hard. And there's nothing like preparing to preach on grace for God to remind you about. I drove through the Smoky Mountains, through the past, that two-lane windy past. We drove over to Greenville, South Carolina last week in the middle of a rainstorm. I struggle with grace when I'm driving. I want other people to let me in. But when I honestly... When I see somebody zipping through traffic and forcing their way through and they're riding up on somebody and they make them move over and they push, I am that person who blocks them in. <laughs> if you're that driver, I'm your worst nightmare. 
I have fantasies about using my car to slow down other drivers. I just love it. If you drive like an idiot and you drive by me, I'm going to slow you down. I just, oh man, my justice just rises up inside of me when I'm driving. I was joking about it this week. It, this is, you can ask Julie. She, this isn't funny for her. Um, this, is, this is very real for her when we're driving. She's like, yes, you, you, don't, you, you don't really know how to be graceful in real life. So when I preach on this stuff, this stuff applies across the board. We like the idea of receiving grace, the idea of extending grace in our real life when we're behind the wheel of an automobile. It's hard. It's hard for me. I do not stand up here and teach this to you because I've gotten it. I stand up here and teach this to you because I desperately need it. I desperately need it. It's very, very challenging. There are, there are three parts of this process of grace that I've kind of broken down in my mind. The first one is understanding grace. Growing in what I read, what I hear, what I listen to, my understanding, maybe my theological depth of understanding is growing. Understanding God's grace, I think this is kind of where this starts. I think what comes next and maybe starts to come in phases as we begin to understand God's grace is experiencing God's grace. And maybe those two were reversed for you. Maybe what happened to you first was you experienced God's grace. Maybe you tasted it a little bit. And that drew you in. And then maybe you, you would begin to understand it. So I don't know how those two work for you, but I'm putting them out there as part of a process. Understanding God's grace and then experiencing God's grace. It's very different than a, a head knowledge, a, a theological understanding of what grace is. Am I experiencing God's grace? What does it mean that I am receiving all that I did not deserve from Jesus? What does it mean that his life, his divine influence is taking over and transforming me? What is my experience of grace? What is your experience of grace as you come here? What's been your experience of grace in the church? See, for many people, the church has become one of the biggest roadblocks to experiencing God's grace because the place that should be the conduit for God's grace to be pouring out of people who have been transformed by grace often becomes a weapon used in judgment to stop people from progressing in their experience of a good and loving Savior that has given you and I everything. So for some of you right now, where you're stuck is experiencing God's grace. You get it, you understand it theologically, but maybe it's your back, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was somebody that did something to you and it has you stuck. Understanding God's grace, experiencing God's grace, and the last part, the third part, is this idea of extending it. As I grow in my understanding, as I begin to experience God's grace, what does it look like for me to become someone who is extending God's grace to other people? It's often, often, this is the hardest, with two groups, your family and other believers. Somehow it's easier for me to extend God's grace to people that don't know Jesus. Honestly, I expect more from Christians. My standard of judgment just sorry, I'm just gonna use my own painful words here. My judgmental standards are often higher 
towards people that know Jesus. And to understand how to help Christians grow without judging them, without condemning, it's not my place. Judging other Christians is the role and it's the direct job of the Holy Spirit. And when I get in the way, I become someone who blocks someone else's ability to experience God's grace. And I don't want to do that. Understanding God's grace, experiencing God's grace, and extending God's grace. I give you those three words as a bit of a framework for you to think about where are you in this grace process? What are you learning about grace? A couple weeks ago, were, were you here for the message on shame? A guest speaker was here and spoke to us about shame. Wow, Julie and I left that service and we were, we were really processing. We were driving. I hope, hope that you got a chance to process out some of that, but that was like God dropping a plow through our souls. And we left here thinking about shame and about that idea of guilt. Remember what he said was, guilt is I do something bad. And shame was, do you remember what he said? I am bad. And I thought right then, because I knew Keith was wanting me to, to speak while he was going on vacation, I thought, I, I, gotta, I, gotta, I gotta come back to that when I preach. Because this grace, when we become people of grace, when we are experiencing God's grace in such a way that it is transforming the way that we live, when the divine influence upon our soul is beginning to be reflected in our lives, we have the antidote for shame. We get to extend grace to other people and to bring them into the presence of the giver of all good things. The one who fixes it, the one who heals it, the one who restores all that's broken. We get to have that antidote for shame. How powerful is that? I want to hit some hard truths about grace. Why is grace so challenging for us? I'd like to unpack these for you just a little bit. Why is it that grace is so challenging for us? I know why. I, these are things that are challenging for me. So I'm going to unpack for you a little bit of, of what makes grace hard for me. First thing, number one, grace makes us dependent. Our works cannot earn it. We are dependent upon grace. We don't want to be dependent. Honestly, we don't want to be dependent upon anything. My, my uh, daughter was here this last week and her boyfriend was with us and, and we were thinking about some of the differences between he's an Australian and she's an American and we were thinking about some of the differences between Australians and Americans. And one of the differences that we really were looking at pretty closely was that as Americans, part of our cultural overlay and part of the cultural overlay that affects our Christianity is we are fiercely taught to be independent. Self-made man, right? Our, grab us by our bootstraps. It's the way America was founded on a hard work ethic. We go for it. We want to be independent. The problem is, is that our American cultural value of independence stands in direct contrast to Jesus' value of depend upon me for everything. Grace makes us dependent. And I'll say we, but what I mean is I. <laughs> we don't like that. I don't want to be dependent. 
I want to be independent. I want to be able to make it. This is why Jesus came, because we can't make it. We are dependent on him, and we don't like it. It's hard for us. We want salvation to matter when we become a Christian. We want the rest of sanctification to be about something else, about me doing a great job being a Christian. Hey, check me out. I'm maturing in the faith. I'm pretty awesome. I spend more time in God's word than you do. You know what, what? It's interesting is if you look at Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ. The whole thing, for me to die is gain. From start to finish, my spiritual life is dependent upon Jesus. For me to live is Jesus. For me to live is not Jesus plus a little bit of Darren being awesome. My awesomeness doesn't matter to God. Sorry, neither does yours. For me to live is Jesus. For me to live is dependent, a dependent lifestyle, depending upon him, his divine influence upon my life, being, being changing me and reflecting in me. Our ongoing life is Jesus. You know, there's, there are, uh, we have some members for whom this is not difficult to, for them to understand. If they could understand, if they could speak to us. We've got some mamas around here with those beautiful little baby bumps growing. So, so fun to be around while a life is developing and watching God bless young families. And, and this is just a really fun part of being part of a church. But if we could ask that baby, hey, for you to live, what's going on in there? For you to live, how much is you? And that baby's gonna say, for me to live is mom, right? For me to live is mom. Mom is giving me everything that I need. That baby is pretty crystal clear. If we could get inside the mind of that child and ask and find out what's going on, babies are crystal clear about what their life it consists of in the womb. For me to live is mama. We get confused because we're on our own. We can live, we can breathe, we can, we can do things for ourselves. And we live in a country that increases this difference between the way God wants us to think and the way we naturally think. We want to be independent from the very beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden. They wanted the freedom to make their own decisions and to separate themselves from the plan God had for them. We want to be independent part of our nature from the very beginning. And God wants us to be dependent. I think it's fascinating to me. John 5.30, the one being in the entire universe that did not need to be dependent upon God was Jesus. He is God. <laughs> but check this verse out. John 5.30, Jesus says this. Jesus modeled dependency for us. This is crazy to me. I can do nothing on my own. Wait, hold on. <laughs> this is, start over. Read it again. Listen closely. This is Jesus. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. On earth, our holy Savior modeled dependence for us.
upon the will of the Father. And then as he was leaving, he gave us an image of dependence upon him. John 15, 5. Jesus is preparing to, to leave earth and he's telling his disciples these stories. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do a few great things. Come on, God. I just want to do something great for God. How many, have you ever heard somebody say that? At a camp, some speaker, let's go and do great things for God. Inside my soul just cringes when I hear someone say that. Inside I'm just going, this is why I need Jesus. Because the great things that are going to happen for God are going to happen because Jesus is reflecting in my life. Does that noise freak anyone else out every Sunday? <laughs> no one ever says anything when that thing comes on. And I thought about it this morning. I was in the shower and I was thinking, when that air compressor comes on, I gotta do something to make a joke. Because every Sunday I kind of jump when that thing turns on. And I'm thinking what we need to think about is this is God saying, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like he's kind of growling along with us out of joy. So from now on, when that compressor comes on, I want everybody in the room to go, mm-hmm. <laughs> Keith's gonna go, I better go listen to that message. Where was I? John 15, 5. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus gives us this message as he's preparing to leave the earth. And the message is, you and I are branches. We are dependent upon the vine. The life of Jesus, all of it, flows from him. It's all God's grace. And apart from him, anything we do, is nothing. What does it look like to be dependent upon Jesus? Hard truth about grace, number one, grace makes us dependent. Number two, grace humbles us. We already read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Grace humbles us. No one here deserves grace. No one. We just don't. The ground is truly level at the foot of the cross. And this is fascinating to me. The ground is level at the foot of the cross between Christians and non-Christians, those who believe and those who don't believe, those who are embracing God's will and are trying to figure it out, and those who might be fighting him and not sure how, what to do. Maybe you became a Christian and you're at the point now where you're wrestling with God and you're fighting with him. You're not sure you believe or you're not sure you want him to have complete control of your life. Pretty much that's all of us in the room, by the way, in case you're missing that point. We're all wrestling with him in something. And the, at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. If I've been a Christian for 50 years or if, I've been a, if I'm not even one yet, because at, at the foot of the cross, it's all grace. It's all grace. It's all God offering himself to us. There is nothing we do to earn it. Grace humbles us. It's truly, the ground is truly level at the foot of the cross. In fact, here's an interesting thought. Grace actually seems to roll downhill. You ever thought about this? James 4, 6. This is an interesting verse about grace. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud 
but gives grace to the humble. We better listen. If we're going to have a message on grace, and there's some place in the Bible that talks about God giving more grace or who God gives grace to, the God of the universe opposes the proud. And he comes running to the humble. The God of the universe says to the Pharisee, your goodness doesn't justify you. And he says to the tax collector, boom. The tax collector enters into God's presence and says, I have nothing. I bring nothing. And I need you. And I'm broken and I'm a mess. Love the fact that what Ben was saying this morning was bring it in here. Don't think you need to leave it at the door or get it all fixed up ahead of time because the God of the universe runs to the tax collector and he opposes those of us who think somehow we are spiritually okay. I personally would rather have God on my side. <laughs> God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Grace humbles us. Number three, grace can't be controlled. Man, we hate this one. This one's so, we, I, I. This is so hard for me. I want somehow to be able to manipulate God's grace. I just straight up, I do. I want to know somehow that I can earn it. I want to know there's something I did, a test that I, I passed. I just honestly, I want to know that my karma meter is going up. Sorry, grace is the opposite of karma. Acts 20, 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Look at these action words about grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Grace is an active agent. God is at work. His grace is changing you and I. It is what we are wrestling with as we're growing in his image. God is shaping us. He's giving us the inheritance among the saints. His grace is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This sanctifying agent is God's grace. Somehow I just want to have a little bit of control over my evaluation. Somehow when I stand before God, I pass through the gates of heaven, I want to know I did something that's just really going to matter. And I'm really becoming more and more convinced the older I get and the more I study this is that the thing that's going to matter is did I surrender myself to God's grace? Did I enter heaven knowing I don't deserve to be here and everything that has happened in my life that possibly has a positive effect was Jesus. Jesus plus nothing. God's grace. Some of you have lived in Tennessee for so long that you don't realize how green this place is. There's another thing you miss, some of you that have lived here for a long time. As you're driving around, most of you don't notice how much time, energy, and money has been spent in the guiding and manipulating of water. I'm driving down 96 from West Haven back into Franklin and I'm driving along and I'm just noticing 
look, there's another big one of those ditches. And look, there's a big culvert down there. And there's all this time and energy has been spent creating places for water to flow. And we all know there's a lot of water here. It rains a lot. That's why Tennessee is so beautiful and green. It rains a lot here. And it can rain a lot in a short amount of time. And we also all know that all this energy and money that has been spent in the guiding and manipulating of water, sometimes water just says, <laughs> bring it. Bring me your little dirt mound. Bring me your little culvert. <laughs> There's times where it rains and the front of my driveway just goes right across the street into my neighbor's yard. <laughs> and I just go, whoa. As much as we want to control the rain here in Tennessee, as much as we want to manipulate it and direct it, sometimes the water just does what the water does. And that's God's grace. It is at work. God is calling you. He is pouring out his inheritance on you. He's doing it right now. Whether you want him to or not, whether you know him yet or not, he is drawing you. He's he wants to know you. He wants to love you. He wants to pour out his blessing on you right now. God's grace is a change agent and it works. It does what it's going to do. What we've got to figure out is how to get in line with it. How to understand and experience and extend it. How to say to God, I want this. I want you to change me. I want you to sanctify me. I want your divine influence to be reflected in my life. Change me. Pour yourself out on me, your grace. I'm going to ask you to, re to respond back to me a little bit here. I'm going to read some statements about grace. I didn't include the slides for this. Some of these are going to jump out at you, and if you're taking notes, capture them. But I also am going to ask for you to speak to each other about some of this. So some of the things that might happen right now, some of the things that are said in the room might be really worth capturing. So get, if you're taking notes, get, grab your pen. I really want you to, to kind of think about this a little bit. I'm going to say some statements when grace is reflected in our lives, when the divine influence is reflected in my life, then these things are true. And then I'm gonna, after I read it a couple times, I'm gonna turn it around and say, instead we, and I'm gonna ask you to share back with me, okay? I'm gonna ask you to give me some answers to this question. What do we do instead of what grace does in us? When grace is reflected in our lives, we are humble and grateful. When grace is reflected in our lives, we are humble and grateful. What's the opposite now? Instead, we... We're proud. When grace is reflected in our lives, we are humble and grateful. Instead, we... Self-focused, self-focused, self-effort, self-goodness, self-excellent. Humility is a, is a real killer of self-focus. Keep going. We've got to earn more. Instead, we've got to earn more. We're humble and grateful when grace is reflected in our lives. When grace is reflected in our lives, we forgive easily. 
When grace is reflected in our lives, we forgive easily. Instead, we grudges. I heard it a couple different ways. Hold a grudge, grudges. We judge, guilty, just that's one of my big things is that justice issue. I want to be the judge. Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. I heard someone in the back here. Keep we keep a list. Oh. Hold we hold other people to a higher standard. I had a family member who didn't said some things to me that were really, really not Okay. We had a phone conversation where the things were said, and I said, if you keep saying those things to me, I'm going to hang up. I hung up, I hung up four times. And they continued to call back and attack me. And it was a really painful situation for me. I wanted to judge. I wanted to keep a list. I did not, I wanted to hold a grudge beyond any, and I did, I was angry. I did some really angry mowing that grass was taking all my wrath. I was so mad. I got to a point where I think God and I had done quite a bit of work where my, I, you know, I would teach on grace in the middle of feeling all this. And God just kept chiseling away, kept working on me. His grace was changing. This change agent was present and I was resisting it because I was so justified. This person had done something wrong to me. And at one point, I felt God calling me to be the one to extend the grace. Can I tell you that today that relationship has been restored? I fought God all the way through. I can't take any credit. I was so resistant. I was right, and they were a jerk. And God said, and I've got enough grace that you can be an extender of me. Not of you. You can be an extender of me to this family member that had hurt me so badly. We forgive easily. It's a tough one. When grace is reflected in our lives, we accept others in process. When grace is reflected in our lives, that word process, oh. when grace is reflected in our lives, we accept others in process. Instead, we don't have patience. Process requires patience. And man, we're glad when that's extended to us. <laughs> we don't have any patience. Somebody else. Instead, we say it. We reject others who don't live up to our expectations. Those two, two killer words in there. We reject and expectations. Somebody else, another, another response to this. We accept others in process. Instead, we label. We label. My gosh. I'm such a name caller. I don't do it where any of you can hear it. Julie's the one who hears it. She's like, stop calling that person that name. 
and it's labeling. It's my, it's my judgment inside. My poor wife. <laughs> but there's, she's, she's right. I label. Labeling others. When grace is reflected in our lives, we recognize the fallibility of our resources. When grace is reflected in our lives, we recognize the fallibility of our resources, our works. Instead, we instead we're arrogant. Instead, we would instead of recognizing that what we do is very much weak. <laughs> what do we do? We strive. We strive for what? More. Recognition. We recognize the fallibility of our resources, our works. Instead, we take pride in our accomplishments. I'm afraid that much of what we've called ministry here on earth has been plastic fruit. That someday we're going to get to heaven and realize God goes, hey, that was awesome what you did for that recognition on earth. That was great. That wasn't for me or through me or because of me, but it was super cool. And a lot of what we sometimes call ministry is somehow separated out from our need for Jesus in the middle of what we do. And sometimes we think that if we're good at something in, in the church, somehow we're earning something. That karma meter's going up, right? When we, grace is being reflected in our lives, we recognize the fallibility of our works. When grace is reflected in our lives, we love freely and sacrificially. When grace is reflected in our lives, we love freely and sacrificially. Instead, we... Self-centered. Conditional. Oof. If you, then I. Conditional. As opposed to freely and sacrificially. This is the love of Jesus that was given for me on the cross. Freely and sacrificially. He gave himself. And instead we what? We keep score. We keep lists. Such powerful words. You're saying some similar things in different ways. I hope you're capturing some of these things. Instead, we keep score. When grace is reflected in our lives, we become more comfortable with honesty and vulnerability. I know sometimes the way that I speak is a little uncomfortable for people because I feel like the further I've gone into this grace stuff, the less I care what you think. <laughs> Sorry. But when grace is reflected in our lives, we become more comfortable with honesty and vulnerability. Instead, we do what? We cover. We hide. We self-protect. We people please. We wear a mask. Sometimes you've heard people talk about this. 
Sometimes people talk about this as they describe their church experience, that somehow when they come to church, they've got to put on a mask. This should be the place above all other places where it's okay to be raw and real and a mess. Why isn't it? Why is this so hard for us? This is that, meant to be that place where if we need triage, we come here. People that need triage, you don't have to convince them. You have a bullet hole. <laughs> You're wounded. You're bleeding. Grace convinces us of that. Grace convinces me that honesty and vulnerability are more important than convincing all of you I'm doing okay. You may see that, the most recent Fred Rogers movie, the, 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 forget the title of the most recent one. There's another one coming out pretty soon. The, um, the Tom Hanks version is coming out pretty soon. That looks like it's gonna be amazing. But did you see the one that was a, the more of the biography that was just out a little while ago? The Fred Rogers movie called, what was it? Anybody remember? Anybody see it? Who saw the, the biography one, the, the Fred Rogers movie? Am I the only one, really? Oh, you saw it, good. Somebody else. I'm just telling you, go find that movie. It is amazing. The, the whole uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood and the stories behind this man's faith, his deep love for Jesus and his desire to love children and people around the world, that film is incredible. Really, really something else. All the questions people have about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood are answered in a really beautiful way in this movie. And at the end of the film, by the way, I just warn you, little, little uh, kind of, what, spoiler? I'm gonna give a little spoiler on this. Take Kleenex, the end of the film, everyone in the theater was, was weeping. It was so touching. And part of what happened at the end of the movie was he asks this question, who in your life has left a huge influence on you? Who is it that you are deeply grateful and thankful for? This is one of the questions he's asking at the end of the film. And so profound. It was in an interview and he was trying to get people to recognize the impact that you can have on someone else's life. And for me, the person I thought of was Charlie. Charlie was a youth sponsor when I was, I was literally the junior high and high school kid at my church that the youth staff planned events on whether or not I was coming because they were afraid of me and they were afraid of what I would do with all my energy and all my ideas. I was going, if, if, if the leadership was stupid, I was gonna take over. And in high school, it, it was, I was brutal. If the game was dumb, I made up a better one on the spot, in the room, with the youth staff present. I was a bundle of energy and most people in the room had no idea what to do with me. I was such a source of irritation to the youth staff, except Charlie. And Charlie decided from junior high when I was at my <laughs> most glorious. <laughs> Charlie decided, I'm gonna love this kid. I am gonna love this kid. And he poured his life into me. Here's here, a little glimpse into Charlie's life. He'd been through a really messy divorce. Brutal, painful. Felt like a failure. Felt like he just 
In that process, he found Jesus. Charlie walked with a limp. Walked with a limp his whole life. And that limp made him so loving and so kind, so full of grace that he could wrap up a really rowdy junior hire and reflect Jesus to me. Charlie left a huge impact on my life because he knew he needed Jesus. When I got married and I realized I understand a lot of things in life, something I don't understand at all was gentleness. I needed to be more gentle with Julie. I didn't know how to do that. I didn't know what that looked like. I went to Charlie and I said, can you disciple me for a little while? I need you to teach me more about what it looks like to be gentle. Charlie was full of grace. He knew he needed Jesus. And because he knew he needed Jesus and he knew he was fallible and he knew he was the taxpayer falling down every Sunday saying, God, I'm just a wreck. And because of that, the divine influence on Charlie's life was so strong that it reflected like a ray of sunshine into my soul. Charlie was full of grace. Impacted my life so deeply. Going back to that Spirus Zodiatus quote, the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. God's grace. For by grace, we have been saved. Grace sets us apart. Grace heals shame. What happens at New River Fellowship if we become a community of tax collectors? What happens if we rip our masks off and ask each other for help? What happens in Franklin if we become a band of tax collectors who need Jesus before we need other people's approval? What happens to your relationships on your street when your irritating neighbor does something that is genuinely irritating and the grace of Jesus flows out of you into your relationships with your neighbors, with your children, with your spouse? What happens if we become a community of tax collectors that throw ourselves on the grace of Jesus? worship team is going to come up and our, our prayer partners are going to be up here and I encourage you this morning as we close do business with God where are you in understanding, experiencing extending God's grace and if you need to pray with somebody this morning I encourage you to come up and do that dear Jesus continue speaking even as we leave today in your name Amen